0: only two horror stories that you can tell. I mean, there's ba- two basically temp- templates of a horror story. And very quickly I can illustrate them. If you imagine we're all sitting around a campfire in the old days and a medicine man is standing there. And we're a tribe. And he says, let me tell you where the evil is. It's out there beyond the darkness. It's the other. It's the other tribe. It's the beasts in the woods. That's the, that's the evil. That's one story. The evil from outside the same situation we're in a, a circle around a campfire uh, the medicine man the holy man stands up and says i'll tell you where evil is it's right in here it's in our human hearts it's in us that's evil on the inside two stories
1: drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater
0: that's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols, which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted.
2: We were just talking about how uh, Edge debuted at AEW over the weekend. Oh, did he? Yeah. Or Adam Copeland, as he's now known as.
3: Did he? It's a little, little weird that he's allowed decided.
0: to be called the Rated R Superstar, but he's not allowed to be called Edge. I think
2: that's funny. Uh, Apparently, they never renewed their trademark in, like, 2020 because right. they, they weren't going to use it. So he was able just to scoop it up, I guess.
0: Well, His yeah, theme yeah. music is just a real song, so they can't stop him from using that.
2: Yeah, and apparently, because he's, like, friends with the band or whatever, but apparently WWE never... Got, a, got an exclusive license for it because they never felt they were going to have to. Yeah. So he just called the guy up. He's like, hey, can I use this in AEW? He's like, of course.
0: Well, and so- at this point, I imagine WWE is like, it's not worth the bad press if he shows up without that song and holds a press conference and <laughs> says, yeah, they wouldn't let me use it. Yeah. You know, they, they went out and bought the exclusive rights now just so that I couldn't use it. I imagine that's not, the bad press is not worth the advantage of him. It's not like anyone doesn't know who yeah. Edge is.
2: Yeah, and they just re-recorded the little uh, you-think-you-know-me thing, except they rephrased it as you-think-you-know-him or something. And so it's pretty much exactly the same.
3: So Edge came back as generic Edge? Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I mean, Christian's and AEW, so... And everybody will keep doing
3: the thing where they're like, listen, it's the same Edge, it's just different packages.
0: (laughs) He's just just got great value written across his tights now
2: <laughs> no he's pretty much said like the edge character is essentially retired and now he's doing i don't
0: know whatever i don't think it'll be that different that's my guess
3: probably not he's adam copeland failed actor
2: <laughs> people were surprised he could have went with his uh the name sexton hardcastle because he's used that in wwe a couple times for like uh I don't know. Some like joke thing on one of his TV, TV series or whatever.
0: Maybe they'll uh what? I'm trying to remember what his name was when he was in Trailer Park Boys. He was in like the animated version of Trailer Park Boys. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. But I I don't think that's what he wants people remembering him for. <laughs> probably not. Yeah,
2: you know, Hall of Fame wrestler is probably more what he's hoping for.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean,
3: that was funny. He's he's one of those superstars that I think maybe he's more famous because his career got cut short than anything. I mean, other than, other than a few of the stupid, uh, Hey, let's go out and destroy our bodies matches with the Hardys and stuff. Yeah. I don't think he was a particularly oh, amazing no, wrestler. Multi-time world champion. How
0: dare you? Yeah. I, I died to with that altogether.
3: Lots of people are multi-time world champion. Yeah. Fucking John Cena held that belt forever. And he blows
0: but yeah did,
2: but, he, did he ever have a live sex celebration on live tv
3: no
0: yeah no edge Ed, as like a performer was always great in different capacities too which is something that most guys can't pull off where he did like the brooding stuff and then he was still able to be funny and then he was still able to be taken seriously again later that's the sign of a great wrestler and
3: well he was good i'm not saying he wasn't good but like i'm his, i'm just saying i don't i don't think really. he was particularly good
0: uh, I, think you're, I think you're mistaken, and I think most of the world would disagree with you. You're entitled to your opinion, obviously.
2: Do you know who's not good?
3: Satan. S-
0: solid segue. <laughs> solid.
3: Could it be um, Satan?
0: <laughs> well, we'll debate whether Satan actually appears in either of the movies we're about to talk about. Maybe your segue is going to fall apart.
2: <laughs> Probably will. Uh... Yeah, so we're doing uh, John Carpenter movies. This is supposed to be 80s, but, you know, one of them takes place in the 90s because Doug doesn't follow the rules.
0: Yeah, but the script was originally brought to John Carpenter in the 80s, and he initially turned it down because he was still getting studio pictures at that point, and then he returned to it when he went back to his independent filmmaking, so no. it counts in that way.
3: That okay. that feels very spurious. <laughs>
2: uh well first up doug why don't you tell us about prince of darkness
0: prince of darkness so 1987 um there's some sort of supernova explosion in outer space cut to things are starting to go a little weird near this church the priest dies somebody the next guy that comes in realizes some fucked up shit's going on So he goes to visit a professor friend of his, a physicist, brings him to the church and is like, we found this thing in the basement. Could you guys, could you guys like do something about that? Like, we don't know. And so they're like, okay. So they bring in a bunch of people from the university, including scientists, as well as people to translate ancient texts and other things like that. Eventually discover that there was some sort of anti-god that walked the earth at some point and buried his pure evil child in this thing so that it would be released one day something to that effect Mm -hmm. and so uh, now that supernova explosion in outer space because this thing exists within microparticles it was awakened by that and it is gradually trickling out causing Mm -hmm. the homeless people that live near the church to become zombie things and eventually spewing into the face of some people and turning them into deadites. And There's
3: a lot of weird Satan coming into people's mouths in this movie.
0: A little bit bit of that, (sighs) yep. Um, And so they're like, as they're struggling through most of the movie with trying to understand what's going on and trying to basically being scientists, not wanting to accept that this is some kind of supernatural being, eventually having to then fight it as many of the members of their team are killed off
3: did did we mention that most of the cast of this movie is the cast of uh why did why did my brain just go blank? big trouble in little china trouble in little china yeah Yeah,
0: there's a significant crossover yeah (laughs) there's uh
2: most importantly forgot to mention that we discovered jesus christ was an alien
3: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah That's just yeah. a throwaway yeah. piece of dialogue, too, yeah, which is crazy. It's not really
0: plot relevant, if we're being honest. Like it's, <laughs> it's and
2: he uh, then uh, made uh, his followers guard this canister for yeah. thousands of years. So, in a sense, this movie is like, you know, Scientologists aren't that far off. <laughs>
3: That leads to at. a lot of weird stuff in this movie. This this movie has a lot of weird connotations about religion. Oh, yeah? That's just like, what? <laughs> Wait, what?
0: No, go, go on. Th- what what weird connotations did you notice when <laughs> you watching this film? I'm going to hear it. Well, I'm
3: saying like the fact that basically they established the fact that the Roman Catholic Church is actually just a conspiracy PR front. To cover up the fact that Jesus was an alien in a more digestible format by instead claiming he was sweet baby godson, because that's easier to understand than spaceman.
0: Okay, but I'll push back a little bit. They were also there to lie and say that evil was more of a construct that existed within people and not a physical being. So, they, yeah, they yeah, that's, two, all, two that's also true. Two, two different marketing departments, but yes. Yes, this movie (laughs) posits that the church is built on bullshit and has always known it was, or at least some people within it have always known that.
3: Which, which that part isn't too far from the truth. You take the aliens out of it. (laughs) This is a pretty accurate representation
0: of religion. Yeah, I mean... Except for
3: Satan being... Being green, the, the green slime green, from Nickelodeon? Well, it's like well, the green slime from Nickelodeon mixed with the Matrix code.
0: <laughs> but it's, what's really interesting about this is that if you listen to the dialogue, they're basically saying that, yeah, like God and Satan do exist. Satan did send a son down to Earth, basically. God didn't. That was an alien that just, just got co-opted by the marketing department. But so the whole religion is bullshit, but the core of there is a God and there is a Satan still is true is part of what we're meant to believe in within the concept of this movie, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's still one all-powerful good being and one all-powerful evil being struggling for control of the universe.
2: Yeah. What a, what a weirdo fucking movie, but it's
3: so good. <laughs> yeah. So this is one that I didn't much care for it the first time I saw it. And upon subsequent rewatches, I think I like it more every time I see it.
0: Yeah. So for me, I never saw it like in the 80s or even the 90s. I never saw it. I don't think I ever saw it until like when I was older and going back and like tracking down John Carpenter films after like, you know, after like going to my DVD shelf and realizing, holy shit, a lot of these movies I like were directed by the same guy. I better better (laughs) watch whatever else he's done, you know? And it was like, um, so I think I, I had that appreciation for it earlier, like on earlier viewings, but i did it was probably it might have been the 2000s before I saw it, so it's a little bit of a different experience yeah. for me. It's probably
2: about the same it wasn't definitely wasn't one of his that i uh watched when I was younger, which maybe helped that I liked it
0: earlier. well it it's a very slow paced film, which makes me wonder whether I would have liked it when I was younger or not is it it is so deliberate and i think that's what hurt it as far as the um as far as like a general audience goes i think it, it it is not paced like a 1987 film and that's all there is to it like it's it's not of its era at all despite the mustaches
3: yeah i do feel like so if 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 this had been done in the the modern era this would have been john carpenter's opportunity to make like an eight part netflix series that would have been really good oh yeah Yeah. i could see that because the the i think the strength of the movie lies in uh two things the the gross bits of this movie are really fucking fantastic Mm -hmm. um that and there are these great fucking like miniature character arcs. Un- unfortunately there's like 35 cast in this movie so it's like it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people to keep track yeah. of. M- maybe unnecessarily so. I think maybe John Carpenter like needed to chill out a little bit.
0: Yeah I think but, he was trying to make it so that it felt like this large group of diverse people had to come together to work on this project. and Which is when he did that it makes gives us less time with each character on screen.
3: Yeah, yeah, it dilutes him a little bit. But then you have these great fucking character moments of like, so Donald Pleasance plays the uh the priest, and at one point someone dies and he starts saying the last rites, and halfway through it he stops because he realizes that it's bullshit. Like <laughs> he was like, Oh yeah, this isn't none of this is real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that character watching him deal with the fact that he's kind of acknowledging the church is there. I would like to have got more time with that because there is that moment when they're like reading the texts and he realizes like, Oh, like, so I'm like, I'm a marketer. I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? And you can see it in his face. He's such a good actor that he can portray it in a, in a very brief period of time, but it would have been nice to spend even more time with him and have more conversations with him and have him like trying to, reconcile the idea that maybe he has done some good in the world and that now he's got this opportunity to do more, but even though he wasn't doing it in the way he thought he was doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because at the end, when he ends up spending a large amount of time just like hiding during the final like conflict, and he comes out and kind of saves the day at the end, you're like, there's a lot going on there with this guy who has like dedicated his life to something it's been taken away from him. And now at the same moment, all of a sudden this pure evil is coming at him. So he just cowers. But when he finally comes out to join the fight and ends up being the hero, it's like, okay, so how does, how does that sort of short arc compare to his arc of learning that he's dedicated his life to the wrong thing? And is there something there that you could draw a connection to of like, okay, there's still good I can do in this world. Like, like, Without necessarily having to believe all these things, you know?
2: Which, by the way, he uh, saves the day by breaking a mirror.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the redheaded
2: lady who just full on tackles that chick into the mirror.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, The, my criticism of the film would be that that ending is a bit anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. That maybe we needed to see something a little bigger, and I think that was maybe a budget issue.
2: Especially since but she could have just ran up and shoved her into the mirror did not have to grab her and jump into it herself.
3: Well yeah. It would have been better if she would have done a bulldog. <laughs> you gotta you gotta go for a WWE finishing move whenever you're throwing the the spawn of the anti-god into a mirror dimension. Yeah, but a perfect
2: plaque seems highly unnecessary at that moment.
3: All right. <laughs> Uh yeah no and like I said there's a, there's a I don't know there's just a lot of cool character stuff the there's the black guy who gets infected by the devil the devil jizz
2: otherwise known as Big Doins.
3: yeah Big Doins. for uh,
2: people that like to listen to Drunken Zombie back in the day we dubbed him Big Doins because of his big scene where he comes up and goes hey there's Big Dooins going on down at the lab well, thus he's Big Dooins forever
3: yeah but there's this great thing with his character that somehow his character is doing everything they can to fight against being infected by this thing which kind of comes out as him alternating between maniacally laughing and crying
0: yeah (laughs) it's super cool
3: yeah it's great it's some great acting he should have won a fucking award for it
2: I mean there's that one guy who turns into bugs
0: Yep, he's the worst actor in the movie (laughs)
3: <laughs> you
0: try to corral
2: of- a bunch of bugs into the shape of a human body, Doug.
0: It turns out he's also like the special effects guy or something like that. So no, there's
3: know. there's that guy that walks down the alley and gets impaled by Alice Cooper's wheelchair bicycle. bicycle is that what it is? Is that what it is? Yeah. It's a bicycle.
2: Apparently, it was part of his stage act. He would impale somebody with a bicycle. Ah. So John Carpenter's like, let's do that in the movie.
0: I think what happened on, I think on stage, he would just like, it was his microphone stand and he would stab the guy with it. And John Carpenter was like, we should just attach that to a bike. Why not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But it's John Carpenter. So it still looks cool. Even when it sounds cheesy, when we say it like this.
2: Yeah. yeah fucking Alice Cooper, just wandering around as a homeless guy.
0: He's, it's really kind of a solid performance from him. He doesn't have a lot to do. But, like, yeah. it's not just a cameo. He is acting, and he is doing mm-hmm. a good job.
3: I mean, it's not as as solid as his performance in
0: Monster Dog. Well, I've been advised not to see Monster Dog, so. <laughs> uh,
2: and neither of them are as good as his performance in Wayne's World, so.
0: Well, fair enough. But, um,
2: So apparently he was in this anti-religion movie or whatever you want to call it, Um and I did not know this, but apparently he's a born again Christian now. Yeah. That's weird. I don't like that for Alice Cooper.
0: <laughs> it's, it's just kind of goes against what he's done publicly, I guess, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Some of the, is if if we're going to start talking about some of the kills and stuff in this movie, some of them are great. That, that one where the guy just gets stabbed with a pair of scissors, Like a homeless lady just runs up and stabs him with scissors.
2: Yeah, no, bueno.
0: but They make it look so fucking good in this movie. All right. And like it's like I I don't know how they make such a simple kill look so great, but it, it's fascinating.
2: Yeah, makes me uh terrified of homeless women. Not that I wasn't already before, but
0: Yeah. Well that the whole like the whole you, do you
3: guys people. do you guys feel like John Carpenter is weirdly biased against homeless people?
0: Well in this movie I think it's because they are downtrodden and happen to be living on the streets in the vicinity of the church that they're easily manipulated. I think the implication is that because their lives are terrible, it was easy to manipulate them, which may or may not be social commentary, that may or may not be relevant yeah. today.
2: I mean homeless people are the heroes and they
0: live. Yeah. Noah has no
2: response. We stumped him.
3: Uh, yeah, no. Rebuttal accepted.
0: <laughs> but like in this movie, I kind of like that idea that that Satan or evil or whatever you want to call it can manipulate people who are already suffering a lot easier than he can manipulate the people who whose lives are going well. I mean, that makes sense, right? And it, it kind of. It's kind of an interesting little thing that's never really discussed in the movie, but the idea is there, the idea that, you know, hey, it's it's, it's somehow he's able, able to turn them into these sort of semi-zombie things, but the other people that are inside the church, he has to, like, physically interact with them to infect them. And it leads to just some cool, creepy moments where the guy, like, when that one guy escapes out the window, and then he's just stuck in that alley, and there's fucking two groups of homeless people coming in at him, and he's like, uh, fuck, back in the window, back in the window. Yep. He's like, pull me up, pull me up. It's a pretty cool moment, and like, those those shots, again, it's John Carpenter, like, I feel like you could just take any shot from any one of his movies and just make it into a poster, but the shots of, like, the groups of the homeless people kind of coming at you in that shambling way are just so mm-hmm. fucking cool. And it's like, it's weirdly, like, intimidating and scary, despite the fact that they're not actually doing anything. <laughs> I guess the score has something to do with that as well.
2: Yeah, it's like, look, they're existing. Not cool.
0: What do we think about like the, the Deadite characters once they start running around the church, acting all monstrous and spewing <laughs> that goo out of their mouths into the other people's mouths?
2: The chick with the Freddy face towards the end is terrifying.
0: Yeah, fucking so cool. Bah, bah. Like <laughs> All of the effects in the movie are done in camera, too, and I think it really helps for a film like this because everything feels like it's happening in this one location and there's not doesn't feel like a movie it feels like you're watching real characters so it really mm-hmm. it really improves it really a, a benefit of their time and their low budget
2: yeah i was not a big fan of and i say this meaning it's done really well of uh, big doings trying to stab himself in the throat with that yeah. wood piece of wood
0: you found that upsetting That's- did you
2: Well, because it looks like he's trying to, like, use it as, like, a knife. Like, once he stabs himself, like, he's
3: trying to pull it open.
0: I'm just like, oh, no, no.
3: That is not sharp. No.
0: Yeah, it's it's genuinely upsetting in a way that, like, horror movies seldom are. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Mm. I guess if you go back to the original Halloween, like, some of those kills probably were upsetting the first time you saw them. Now they're so iconic that you're just excited to see them. But, um, you know, especially by 1987, the idea of a guy getting stabbed in the throat and nobody in the audience wants to cheer for it was kind of passe. You know, you think about other movies that came out in 87. If you have like near dark, you have like every time a throat gets ripped, you're kind of happy to see it. Or like RoboCop stabs that guy through the neck with his (laughs) whatever that spike was for, you know, you think about other moments from that time where the same sort of thing is happening and it's played very differently. I imagine that's why this film was like, like heavily criticized when it came out was probably because it's paced like a seventies movie, not an eighties movie.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, that, and the fact that we would, that was still in satanic panic era. And John Carpenter basically came out and said, hey, your God's fake and Jesus is an alien.
0: (laughs) I guess, yeah. I guess that could have been a factor.
3: (laughs) Yeah,
2: this was his big return to horror movie. Yeah. Because he did Starman and then Big Trouble in Little China. He's like, yeah, let's do another horror movie.
0: It's a return to horror and a return to independent filmmaking, which I think are both very important factors because he got to do a John Carpenter film through and through with this, right? There was no mm-hmm. interference. There was no worry about budgets. It was, I mean, I think the movie cost $3 million to make or something. So, yeah. its like, I mean, there, there, I guess there's worry about budget in the sense of you don't have much, but there's not, um, there's not that studio interference when it comes to like how you spend the money you get to, you get to, you know, pick exteriors that are just a real abandoned church so that you can focus your money on the special effects. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, he said he was very precise about this movie, as in he really had an atmosphere and a tone in mind. So sometimes he'll let like actors improvise and stuff, and he had to be like, no, this is, this is like, you know, we're doing it word for word, we're doing it exactly this way. And then that also helped with budget issues, because he yeah. only shot what he absolutely knew he needed.
0: Well, yeah, what's interesting about the atmosphere of this film from a John Carpenter perspective, and it mostly carries forward to the next movie as well, which is, there's no camp in this movie whatsoever. Like, a lot of John Carpenter's stuff, you know, you think about what they live is obviously hugely campy, but even like Escape from New York has a, a certain level of camp to it that makes it difficult for certain audiences to appreciate it you know are
2: you saying isaac hayes driving around a cadillac with chandeliers on the outside of the car
0: is camping i'm I'm saying it's there it's it's there subtly, if you uh you know if you want to look for it um, <laughs> but i mean everything obviously i mean you know starman famously has a certain amount of camp to it even though it's and it really works in those movies but here he just went no we're going back to like dead serious like hardcore serious like Mm -hmm. the thing serious right (laughs) and it's it it really shows that that's what he was doing and it it, the fact that he could pull it off several years after having not done it is pretty fascinating
2: doug is your house burning down again
0: i I hope not that sounds real close
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh shit well, it sounds like we're all fans of this one.
0: Absolutely, it's not one I think about a lot when I'm thinking about John Carpenter movies because yeah. I don't think it has the rewatchability of like some of his other movies because it's not really fun, you know.
2: Yeah, it's not fun, but that's what makes it good when you're in the mood for it. Exactly. But for the most part, you're like, oh, let's watch a fun John Carpenter movie.
0: Yeah, and I, and I can see why if somebody was like watching his films in order, and you went like you know, Starman. Big Trouble Little China, than this. You'd be like, well, this feels wrong. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but it works so well. It, it It's such an excellently made film that it's just like it works really well at doing what it's doing. Um, mm. What it's doing probably won't be for everybody because it's a slower-paced film. You know, there isn't a huge fight at the end, despite the fact that there is, uh, there is a culmination to the story there is a crescendo of events leading up to that final like confrontation and that, you know, Donald Pleasant's coming out and breaking a mirror to prevent Satan from escaping into the real world.
3: Well, all, all and, that stuff and the final message from the future.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah, we forgot to mention the fact that there's a cool, yeah. like a cool subplot of people from the future, sending a message back, which is being, it's being sent back to the exact location but it, since they don't know who they're sending it to, they send it in a way that it infiltrates people's dreams who happen to be near the location, mm-hmm. which is super interesting. Yeah. There's a really neat uh, thing. Yeah, it's this too, it's too, too
3: bad they don't give that last bit of information until it's too late.
0: Yeah, well... You know. <laughs> it, as, it,
3: as time travel stuff is wont to do.
0: Yeah, well, that's how it works. There is something really cool about this movie, though, in, in the dialogue, because Neil deGrasse Tyson destroyed time travel movies for me by casually pointing out that the earth is constantly in motion. So if you Mm -hmm. did invent a time machine and traveled directly back in time, you would pop into the middle of space because earth wouldn't be where it was at that point. And I'm like, Oh damn it. He's right. (laughs) So so I can't help think about that all the time. But in this movie, they actually address that. And they actually say that the people in the future were able to calculate through the trajectory of earth to send it to the exact place where earth would have been, which is really interesting that somebody was thinking about that in 1987, because most films of this era are not that sophisticated and would not have thought of something like that. No. Um, I'm going to assume that was John
3: physics. Carpenter smoking a bong with a, a <laughs> friend of his who happened to be a physicist.
0: Well, yeah. And, and, well, uh, possibly
3: Neil deGrasse Tyson.
0: <laughs> I, I do think that a lot of this movie is um, John Carpenter developing an interest in physics and then decided uh, to apply that to his, yeah.
1: you know. <laughs> he
2: said he read he read a book on quantum mechanics. Yeah. Around this time. But he didn't like it didn't make a whole lot of sense to him.
0: Well, yeah, cuz it turns it's pretty complicated.
2: Yeah. He's like so, you know, all the stuff in the movie is kind of mumbo jumbo, but I did read about it. Yeah. But really hard to understand.
0: Well, and so yeah, yeah so a certain factoid like the time travel issue could be something that he could wrap his head around and correct. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure all the science in the movie is not accurate. Um, Yeah. And a lot of it is glossed over, I think intentionally because they can't be accurate. So they're just like, "Ah, the hell with it. (laughs) It's just, let's just not get too deep into that one.
2: We're not advanced enough. People in the future will figure that out.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think, I think my only, my only criticism of the film is it feels incomplete in some ways. Because, like we said, there was there were too many characters, too many little personal arcs that were trying to be resolved in a relatively short movie. Mm-hmm. And even though we're saying it's slow, I feel like it needed a lot more room. Right? This this movie could have been four and a half hours long, and they would probably still couldn't have told everyone's story completely. If that makes sense?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I mean. What they could have done, like you, could, like you say, if it was if it was today, this would be an eight-part series or something. Um, at the time, that was never going to happen. So I don't know if they should have like scaled back the number of characters and given less screen time to certain people or not. But I don't know. It's it's a it's a really interesting film from that perspective of like because I think if you took any one of those characters out, you'd you'd there'd be some people watching the film who would miss it. You know.
2: Yeah. Cause even if somebody's not like super important, you still need the body count for those for
3: the
0: yeah.
2: the zombie people walking around inside the church.
3: Right. I think so. I think where they fucked up is you needed you needed that scene in the movie maybe where they're all of them together at once, which I don't think happens in this movie at any point.
0: No, I don't think so.
3: Yeah, where they could all sit down and have a conversation. And through dialogue, you could establish the, the characters more clearly. Instead, it feels like we jump from like the the opening of this movie is probably, I don't know, it's 15 minutes or 20 minutes long where it's just fucking jumping from thing to 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 get to the start of the story. Because there's so much
0: background
3: that has to be set up before the story can even start.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it might have been better to start it with everyone arriving at the church, and then get more. You could get to know the characters through telling their background through dialogue. I wonder if that would have made more sense. We're really nitpicking here, though. None of us are as good at filmmaking as John Carpenter, so we probably <laughs> <laughs> like. It's just it's really easy to second guess decisions years we, and years later.
3: Well, well there, so there is an argument to be made, and don't don't take this as me. overtly criticizing John Carpenter because I fucking love John Carpenter. But, historically, his films underperform. Uh, At least at initial release.
0: It's because people
3: in the 80s were dumb.
0: Yeah, my personal opinion is that that's a criticism of the audience and not of John Carpenter.
3: I I think it's a criticism of John Carpenter's ability to whip up interest in stuff.
0: Sure. but I mean, The the Thing was a, a box office bomb. That's... That's just, well, yeah. That's, have that's you ever like, seen?
3: Have you ever seen the trailer for this fucking movie? I mean, I I probably would have been like, "That looks fucking dumb" back then.
2: Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, trailers are never usually the idea of the director.
0: No, and I I do think like this movie in particular. Without getting into a discussion of John Carpenter's career as a whole, but like it's it's not a 1987 movie, and making this movie in 1987 was no. a ballsy decision. Making it on a three million dollar budget was the right way to go because long run you'll still make your money back. You know what I mean? Even if it doesn't do well on an initial release or whatever, but it is this is not the kind of movie that was popular in an, a year that was like heavily full of great movies. You know what I mean? They, they, these were not the type that does well. You got to figure like a movie like Near Dark got buried. Because it was less exciting than Lost Boys in 1987, so for this movie to be competing with that, and it's like I don't know that audiences were prepared.
3: Any any fucking movie going up against Lost Boys is problematic. But it's like I loved I love John Carpenter, but you, let's let's all be honest. This movie is great, but compared to Lost Boys, this is a steamy pile of shit.
0: No, no, this is a better movie than Lost Boys easily. Horse as far shit. As, as being a, a better, it's a less fun movie. How in, dare you? In 1987, that's what people wanted was more fun. This is a better made movie.
3: I I will never accept that.
0: Okay, well, you continue to be wrong.
3: <laughs> yes, no. yes, I'm wrong about one of the most celebrated horror movies ever made.
0: <laughs> We've been over this. It's not it's not even the best movie with the same plot that came out that year, so Anyways, that's mm. not the point. The point is that in 1987, I think what you're accidentally alluding to is that Lost Boys is a very 1987 movie. It's a movie that could not have been made at any other time, whereas this is a film that is clearly somebody who wanted to make something like this 10 years earlier and would never have been able to, now getting to do it because of the reputation he's built for himself.
2: Well, apparently the movie made $14 against the three... Million budget, yeah. So it's,
0: not, it's pretty good. So, like it's, it's not bad. Again, it's not one of those movies that's ever going to be like number one at the box office, but it is going to be successful because you're making it on a small budget with a, a name director.
3: Was that was that 14 theatrical, or was that did that include no. home video? Um
2: I think it's just theatrical.
0: That's my understanding of that number. Yeah,
3: yeah. It says box
2: office. So my
0: assumption is theatrical.
1: Okay.
2: Opening weekend was like 4.6 million. So it made its budget back in the first weekend at least. Oh, it's because they released it like a week before Halloween because they're smart. Yeah. I still don't understand releasing like horror movies during the summer.
3: Does, that, does this year feel weird to you guys about that? There were three or four horror movies released this year, and now we're like in spooky season and there's no goddamn horror
0: movies coming out.
3: To be fair, Saw X is out. Saul can suck a dick. The
0: the new new (laughs) Exorcist film is out. Like They're not good movies, but they're coming out.
2: Uh, I don't know. I'm probably going to go see Saul X at some point.
0: I'm just frustrated that that Thanksgiving isn't going to come out in time for the actual Thanksgiving, which is this month.
2: No, the actual Thanksgiving is next month
3: they really they really missed their opportunity for Saw X in which it should have been they took the preserved body of the saw guy and brought him back using space technology and then had the saw on a spaceship
0: <laughs> no
3: counterpoints
0: you're you're completely right for the first time in history
3: or
2: or earlier this year FastX ends on a cliffhanger. With Vin Diesel being like, well, if we're going to take Stop somebody it. out, I know somebody I could call. And then, boom, it turns out Saw X is a Fast X sequel. <laughs> no, As long as I all get right. to see fucking Vin Diesel's that
3: explode, are, I'm happy. You guys are ruining it. You guys are ruining it. Talk about those stupid fucking movies. You're taking all the joy out of life by bringing up the
0: stupid Fast and Furious franchise. Let's just move on to the next movie so we can talk about John Carpenter more.
2: I've never seen a Fast and Furious movie. So, I hear you're all about family. Stop. Well, in this Stop test... <laughs> That's
0: not what we're talking about. Nobody wants to hear about it.
2: Uh, uh. Alright, Noah, you want to tell us about the In the Mouth of Madness?
0: Uh,
3: yeah. So, we've got a investigator who works for insurance companies uh, basically wh- wheedling out frauds Mm-hmm. Uh, they hire him to hunt down an author who's gone missing by the name of Suttered Kane uh, who has written a new book that they're supposed to be releasing and they don't have that book so they either want to find out that this dude's dead and get their goddamn book or that he's alive and get their goddamn book because Charlton Heston said so god damn it <laughs> I'll hold him a gun
2: board if I have to yep uh
3: are are Heroes, which is uh what's his face from Jurassic Park and uh Event Horizon. Oh. Sam Neil Sam You you know the guy. And other nameless lady, uh who, <sighs> who venture to a weird town that ought not exist and then turn out that it do.
2: She played uh Jerry Dandridge's sister in Hollow in Friday Night Part Two. Come on, Noah.
3: Like I said, lady with no name. <laughs> uh and they, they go up against that guy from the remake of Babylon 5. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he's an author. The stuff he's writing is either being made manifest through
0: his writing
3: or he is channeling the real things through
0: his writing. I think it's a combination of the two. He's channeling yeah. evil spirits that are feeding it to him and giving him the power to manifest what he writes.
3: Right. And then he is a a weird hodgepodge of different things. He's clearly some kind of... uh, You know, this is all Cthulhu mythos stuff, but there's also a ton of Stephen King references, so he's kind of both kind of mashed together. But Sutter
2: Keynes else else sells them all.
3: (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: It's it's so funny how he's very clearly meant to be Stephen King and then they drop that he, well, except he sells a little more than Stephen King does. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Because it's like, it's, I don't know. It's a, a
3: Apparently, bit... at this time, Stephen King and John Carpenter were good friends. So, I wonder if that dig wasn't just a joke of him I mean, being oh, his sure. friend. But,
2: but character... I think Stephen King would have laughed gleefully in the theater yes. when he saw it.
0: But I definitely think that the character is obviously meant to be what if Stephen King, you know, was a. What if Stephen King was, was the real version of H.P. Lovecraft or something like that, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, and a bunch of this movie is references to God damn it! What's the name of the short? You would know the name of the short story, Brian. Cul- what is that Culver's End or something like that? Cobbler's End. Oh, um, starts with a C. Yeah, I know what you're talking about.
0: All of all of the books in the stories are direct references to Lovecraft stories,
3: right? Except the stuff that's actually happening—the the creepy mutant kids is a reference to a Stephen King story, which is a Cthulhu story, which it appeared in like a, a collection of Cthulhu stories that a bunch of modern authors did. Yeah. Crouch End. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think that's even what the, the name of the town supposed to be referring to. I think Hobbes End is supposed to be Crouch End, just in America instead of England.
2: Plus, this one has Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. It it does have
3: fucking Vigo in it, randomly.
2: (laughs) Um, All right, so what favorite parts we got of this? Because I feel like there's so many scenes in this movie that I just absolutely love. The weird dude just walking across the street and busting the window open with an axe and asking, Do
0: you read Sutter Cain? That moment is it's iconic for a reason and people who don't know this movie may have seen that clip you know what i mean that's yeah. it's, it's very well known and it's it's so perfect because what i've forgotten is is you see the guy going crazy with an axe across the street and oh, then yeah. it cuts back to, to sam neil and the other guy sitting at the table like having a conversation and then it goes back to him going crazy and then it goes back to sam so you like the way it builds up to then eventually he's like right by the glass and he, you can see him coming right up to the glass and that's that really famous shot but it's like it's so fun that they've like they've let the audience know like there's a dude with an axe going nuts out there just so you all know oh also these guys are just discussing insurance stuff <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then just, it goes back and forth like that a couple times and then so when he's finally like storming at that glass you're just like so excited to see him come through it <laughs>
3: I don't know. I, I love this one because I feel like it uh it captures the the kind of pulpy nature of the Cthulhu Mythos stories better than some of the other ones that are more straight horror. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love the way this movie plays with reality. I like the idea that he's like when he wanders into this town and he keeps trying to tell everyone they're not real. And they're like, we know it's fucked up, but we are They like, like, they all kind of say that. To him. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many like great things that happen there where he's like that little old lady. If she was really the lady from the story, she'd be downstairs chopping up her husband followed by, she's downstairs chopping up her husband. And you're like, Oh, he's right.
3: Well, I, not, I really
0: love not
2: it. happy Gilmore's. Grandma.
3: Well, immediately, immediately after that conversation, they go down and there's the insinuation that he's down on the ground next to her, and you know, you think it's going to be a bloody mess or something. But whenever he finally leaves, and they show you behind the counter, it's just her husband naked, handcuffed to her ankle. Oh my god, it's so dark. So much worse.
0: (laughs) It's worse. (laughs) But yeah, I mean that, and like the the creepy children just running around the whole time, and like like. Mm -hmm. Like, famously, like, right after this, John Carpenter did a whole movie with the creepy children that didn't work out so well. And it, they're so good in this one. It's so amazing. Yeah,
2: Just chasing dogs around the yeah. neighborhood, which is creepy. It's
0: just like, then you see them with, like, all that blood dripping from their mouths and shit. And you're like, oh, what'd they do? It's so it's all and it, the visuals on everything are fantastic. It's amazing how good the visuals in this movie are considering it's, I don't think it's a huge budget film either more than the last mm-hmm. one, but
3: it is it is a little weird to make a Cthulhu-based story that doesn't involve a town that is a fishing village. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's
0: Cthulhu-esque, but it's not Cthulhu, right? Like it's they're not beholden to a, an existing mythos. They're just borrowing heavily from it.
3: Strange tentacled things from beyond reasoning.
0: Yes. Yeah. I said borrow. Uh, I from it. <laughs> yeah, this
3: one I do like of- there's there is one close up like you see it a few times in uh, Sam Neill's mind whenever he flashes back to see the monsters uh, and there's this horrible razor mouthed fish monster thing that's kind of clawing its way forward that looks suspiciously like the uh, oh god damn it. What do they call it? The engineer from uh hellraiser
0: yeah that might be on purpose i don't know
3: yeah.
0: uh
2: this movie had a budget of eight million
0: yeah. like imagine mm-hmm. how good this movie looks including how good this is controversial but how good some of the cgi looks considering yeah. it's 1994 1995 like you know this it would hold up today the special effects in this look good by today's standards and on that low of budget that's amazing
2: uh, only made like eight point nine million at the box office, so unfortunately, it was not uh, not a winner. Yeah, no. but as with everything else, the John Carpenter's as as hit video pretty went crazy.
0: Yeah, well, I think it, I have a controversial view on why John Carpenter's films don't make money in theaters but do in video, and I think it's because until recently, people were really shamed for going to the movies by themselves, but you are not shamed for renting a movie and watching it alone in your basement, and so I think a lot of us.
3: Did you just, just? Did you just call all of John Carpenter's fans of incels? Did you just? No. <laughs> was I, that a sneaky? Was that a sneaky uh, dig? No, I called them
0: loners. I called them friendless people and loners and geeks. And look, I'm allowed to say it because you're allowed to criticize your own, right? So I, I think there's a real truth to the idea that someone like me would have seen these previews, would have gone to their friends at high school and said, we should go to that movie. And they would have all looked at me and went, are you fucking crazy? Why would we go see that? And you would have gone, okay. And then when it came out on video, you would have said, oh, I can't go out this weekend. And you would have rented it and watched it alone in your basement. And I think I think that you know, there's a real truth to the idea that a lot of our society was that guy, it was me at that age.
2: Yeah, me and my cousin rented this and we were really freaked out while we were watching it yeah uh, totally. specifically like the where they're driving at night and they see the kid ride by on his bike and then later they see him again and he's like an old man or whatever yeah. i was just like what the fuck is happening
3: you know you know that's hayden christensen
0: right? yeah I was about to mention <laughs> is it <that>.
3: really yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even
2: pay attention
0: yeah so but yeah that whole scene of like he keeps riding by it's it's a very simple thing but again, it's it's the skill of John Carpenter when it comes to filmmaking, when it comes to building that sort of stress that you feel when you're watching a movie. It's taking a simple thing, like a kid keeps riding by in a bike, keeps riding by in a bike. Sure, they hit him, he gets up, and by the time they run to get him like a blanket to help him out, he just gets up and rides off. Like and it just keeps ha- like that just keeps happening, and then you, all of a sudden it's old and you're like, you can just see that it's the same bike, and you're like, I don't this is weird and I don't like it. <laughs> it's just, it's so <laughs> off-putting. <laughs> and it's, it, I mean, it's great. I love it. But in, I love it in that way of like, this is making me physically uncomfortable to watch this. And I don't know why. Because later when there's like monsters chasing him down a hallway, you're like, I get why this is scary. But a lot of the other stuff, you're just like, I don't, even the first few times that the children show up and they're like in that town and everything's quiet. And Sam Neill's like looking in like the, uh, the antique store window and complaining about how people go to antique stores and I'm like yeah I'm with them on this I understand antiques are dumb and then all of a sudden there's just like a group of children come running around the corner and she's like that's weird there's something weird about the fact that we've seen no one and now there's just this group of children chasing a dog and then they're kind of gone by the time he pulls his head back from the window and you're like ah oh, that was eerie I don't like that and I don't understand why I don't like it and that makes it eerier <laughs> it's
2: and then the, uh, what was it the painting keeps slightly changing yeah. in the lobby and getting more and more, which is allergic. a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that she sees it change and then he doesn't. And then she's like trying to tell him and he's like not buying any of it. That's a, a real connection between this movie and the last one is the idea of these characters being put in these weird supernatural situations and not wanting to accept it and just being like, nah, this can't be right. Like, like yeah. in this case, like, Sam Neill's character is in like the bar and that one guy like is like telling him, he's like, I can't even remember what came first. Like, did we come first or did the book come first? Like the the character in the book doesn't know if he was created for the book or if the books created him. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he doesn't understand. And, and Sam Neill finally loses it and like smashes stuff and like yelling at him, like quit pretending to be a character in the book. And then the guy fucking shoots himself and you're like okay well i don't think they hired an actor to do that to trick you sam neil <laughs> <Like it's... sighs> yeah
2: and then as we get towards the end like sam neil Sutter kane asks him what his favorite color is he wakes up on the bus and everything's blue yeah. which is freaky and then uh when he goes back to charlton Hessen, and charlton hesson's like what are you talking about it's like you sent me with a woman to do the thing he's like don't know who that woman you're speaking
0: of is because at one point he goes i think i'd remember her. Like it's... <laughs> oh it's it's great and there's because there's a great line of dialogue early in this movie the woman says to sam neill she's like you know as soon as the number of insane people surpasses the number of sane people the definition of sane and insane just flip you know that right and people like people like you who think you're sane. You'll be the ones locked up. And he's like, never happen. And then at the end, you see them as, as everything's going crazy around him, and you realize he's going to be. You know, we know because it's because we see it at the beginning of the movie, so we all know he does end up in that straight
1: jacket.
2: <laughs>
0: it's so great. Yeah, I and mean,
2: then he just goes insane by the end. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about that that final ending? I like to take the movie very literally, by the way, that when he comes out of Mm -hmm. his cell and goes to the movie theater and watches the movie and realizes he is a character in the movie and he's literally sitting in a theater watching clips of himself on the screen. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, because I I think this movie leaves a lot up for interpretation, but my interpretation is that it's sort of a, a paradox where he, he exists in the real world, gets sucked into that fake world. And by being in the fake world is able to bring the book back out into the real world, which then enables it to take over the real world, which the book oh. it's, it's well, such a weird thing.
3: There's, oh. there's an argument to be made that he's in the book the entire time. Sure. I know one of the big references is supposed to be, so you talked about the, uh, my favorite color is blue and he wakes up and everything's blue.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: At the beginning, whenever you see the uh, axe murderer and it zooms in, he has unnaturally blue eyes, suggesting that yeah. he's also a made-up character, and that's before he interacts with everything. Well, his pupils are split, too. Right.
0: Is yeah. fucked up and weird. But <clears then throat> the, the counterpoint to that would be that, that the, the in-story that we're given is that that guy has read a few chapters of the book, and that's what drove him mad. And that's why he went after Samuel was to prevent things from going crazy so that's why his pupils would be split and he's acting all crazy and stuff right i, th- I think both interpretations are valid i think there's mm-hmm. i think there's i like to think of it as when sam Neil runs down that hallway getting chased by monsters and escapes out into the real world and then can't find the town again and the kid shows up and tells him how to get back to the highway i like to think that that was him bringing the the physical book from one universe into the other. Like he, he's physically transforming it over there and bringing it to the publisher and enabling everything to move mm. forward.
2: So I like to think of it as he realizes he's a character in a John Carpenter movie and has no control over his life whatsoever. It's just thrust into apocalyptic cir- circumstances.
0: Yeah. Either way, mm. man, that ending scene of him sitting in that movie theater is so fun to watch. <laughs> at that point, he's clearly just lost it so good
3: well yeah the fact that his reaction is laughing <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it finds the movie a, hilarious a fun irony there too to the idea that when he was in a straitjacket locked in a room drawing on the walls that's when he was sane and when he gets out that's when he goes insane I love that idea
3: thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call more info, check out the Midnight Drive In on Twitter at MN Drive Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling.
2: All right, what has everybody watched?
3: I watched nothing. All right, what about you, Doug? What did you watch? I
0: don't know. I'm still I'm a little upset about how Noah said that. For the record, but um, let's see. I watched the new Disney sci-fi horror film. Or it's not Disney for you guys, but it is for me. It's called No One Will Save You. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's on for you guys. It's Disney Hulu. Okay. But uh, yeah, so small town this girl who's for some reason an outcast and no one no they don't tell us why is uh all of a sudden she gets invaded by aliens has to spend the whole movie fighting them off at the end we get her big reveal as to why she's been outcasted by the town in a very confusing ending <laughs> um which i would love to discuss with you guys have either have you seen it
2: i have not i know what it's about and i want to watch it at some point but
0: i have not okay well, when you do, we'll sit down and we'll talk about the ending. Until then, I'll leave that part out of my my description. But I, overall, it's a good movie. Um, it's really well put together. It's not terribly scary. It's a PG-13 type horror. Um, mm-hmm. So, But it's, it's, it's extremely well done. The alien designs are cool. Um, one of the things that's interesting is it reveals the alien early. Uh, but then later in the movie, it reveals that there's kind of different kinds of aliens and i think they do a really good job of designing them to all be sort of similar but completely different if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so so they look like they're all from the same planet but not necessarily all the same which is really cool um really really solid performance from the lead actress whose name i might know if i wrote it down yes um really solid like she has virtually no dialogue in this movie and yet it's one of those performances where you kind of always know what she's thinking and what she's doing really really good um,
2: yeah like, I'm a big fan s- of hers I've seen her in a shit ton of stuff.
0: I know her because she was Tim Allen's daughter on a TV show <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not that's probably not the best example if you're trying to figure out whether she's a great actress or not it's sitcom work yeah. but um, yeah she's she's so good like uh, how hard it must be and I'm assuming a lot of acting is up against nothing too right because it's cgi and stuff yeah. so very difficult situation to be in as an actress and just really really solid performance like i say virtually no dialogue which is also a huge credit to like i looked at the uh the director and he's like mainly known as a writer so you would assume his like big directorial debut would be dialogue heavy but instead he went the other way with it and then nailed it quite frankly like an extremely well-made movie um the the action works well when there's, like, actual attacks going on. It's really tense in times. It reminded me of, like, it reminded me of Signs, but I think that's just because Signs relies so heavily on, like, traditional alien tropes, and so does this. Um, But in a good way, where it's, like, like, similar with Signs, where you're, like, okay, because we don't have to figure out the alien stuff, we're, like, relying on the tropes, therefore we don't necessarily have to spend our time thinking about that and we can think about the character and wonder what's going on. And there's some neat moments too, because one of the, sometimes the aliens are just in full alien format, but sometimes it's like an invasion of the body snatcher situation where they've taken over other things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so there's some pretty tense moments when she hasn't figured that out yet. And so like it, her, her first instinct is just to fight off this alien on the first night of the invasion. Um, she goes into town and it becomes clear that like, she's, a uh, She's not going to get help from the townsfolk for whatever reason and when you guys have seen the movie, we'll talk about that backstory but um, so she gets on like a, uh, on a bus to leave town, and of course some of the other people on the bus are whatever body snatched for lack of a better term, and it's a pretty, it's some pretty cool moments like it's, it's pretty fun to watch so it's, it's a solid recommend for me I think if you're interested in, in this type of movie, you'd really like it
2: yeah yeah, definitely you check it out.
0: I had no idea what it was. Like it showed up on Disney Plus, and I just never even bothered to check it out. And Then I heard some other podcasts talking about it. I was just like, oh well. If everybody else likes it, maybe I'll like it. And I'm really glad I watched yeah. it. Yeah,
1: oh,
2: yeah. I I had heard a little bit about it, not a whole lot. And then the director was on Adam Green and Joe Lynch's podcast talking about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So yeah, it's kind of it kind of sold me on needing to check
0: it out. It's not terribly original. It's just really well done is what I would say about it. And yeah. we're not getting a lot of really well-made horror films these days. So even though this is PG-13 horror, it's still really exciting to watch one that's just like a good film. Yeah. Plus the uh, the first alien that shows up kind of reminds me of Paul from the movie Paul. <laughs> <laughs> like a darker version of that character. And I liked that. So. Yeah.
2: You just imagine that Seth Rogen laughs as he's running around.
0: <laughs> he just says he's chasing her around her house. Kind of fun. Yeah, that's a, that's a solid recommend. The other, the only other movie I watched this week, which also a solid recommend, but a little less surprising is I rewatched um, Carrie 1976 version. If I have to be more clear about it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, Man, like I haven't watched this movie in a while, and it's so much better than I remember. Like I just, I, I can't get over how good the film is. It's, I guess it's kind of like Prince of Darkness in the sense that it's slow paced, and it's, you know, not a lot of action until the very end. Uh, yeah. But it really works well. The atmosphere really works well. I think it's a movie that we're really lucky it got made in 1976 when films were allowed to to move at that pace. I think it works really well. I think it's also good that, you know, they were allowed to have your lead actress be less conventionally attractive. If you want to say that, like I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of that stuff that really works in the movie that is of its era and probably why the remakes haven't been so successful. Yeah. But like even the, the opening scene of her in the shower and all that. And like, I just, I think if they were to make that film now, for example, or, in recent times like you can't you can't shoot it the way it's done and i think just it's so perfect that i think even if even if it maybe it's positive that we're not like portraying high school students naked on screen anymore like maybe that's a good change in our society but for the purposes of this movie specifically like it's so well done and it really adds to the film that you're allowed to just be kind of raunchy in a way that isn't acceptable in today's society yeah and to get, like, a, a name actress to do the things that she does in this film, like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's she wasn't a nobody. And the idea that she was willing to, like, you know, have her do a shower scene at all, let alone a shower scene where then she, like, it plays out the way it does. I'm trying to find polite words for saying what happens, and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um but I think everyone is see. Everyone knows what happens to her in the shower at the beginning of Carrie, so I don't think I need to express it. Um, but yeah, I, I love the just the kind of crescendo effect of this movie and the way it just builds and, builds and builds and builds and builds and finally just fucking snaps. And even at the end, when they're doing like the weird, like artsy stuff of like split screens during all the big takedowns and all that, and mm-hmm. I'm just like I still like it, even though I could see myself criticizing that in a different film it just works in this one they nailed it just right so
2: yeah well it's a complete mood changer too like yeah for the for the most part the whole scene's been playing out kind of sappy with her and yeah tommy or whatever like you know oh this was just supposed to be him being nice but now like they kiss and stuff and whatever and it's all happy or whatever and then of course the bucket falls and then Everything goes fucking nuts.
0: It's interesting, too, because the film is completely unforgiving. Whereas, like, even the characters, like, the Tommy, if you're saying that's his name, I'll believe you. Even the only one that watched the movie a couple days ago, I don't remember. (laughs) Uh, But, like, him and his actual girlfriend that, like, Mm -hmm. come up with this idea for him to take Carrie to prom to make her feel like and have a good night and stuff, like, they're not spared at all like there's nothing you know what i mean that it's not like oh they did the right thing so they're like it's like when when shit hits the fan shit hits the fan for everyone and this whole town is fucked and that's and that i mean it's been a while since i read the book but that's the feeling i remember from the book is the idea that this like whole town was shook from this you know
2: yeah they don't really show it in the movie um there's like one scene where John Travolta is going to run her over with the car, and she just,
0: yeah. you know. She just her. decides to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> She's just like, yeah, um, by the way, on my way home, I'm going to kill you.
2: But yeah, like in the book, there's like a whole, like, you can almost draw like a direct line of her from the school walking all the way back to her house, because it's just like destruction Yeah, along the entire way. Like she blows up a gas station, just all kinds of stuff. So quite literally, the town gets it.
0: And I mean, in many ways, the town deserves it. It's such a no. It's, it's one of those. It's one of these stories where you're like, if people would have just been nice to her, then this, none of this would have happened. You guys know that, right? Like, it's like, like I'm not condoning all of her actions, but you know, you, yeah. you could have avoided this situation by simply don't, be,
2: even, don't even have to be friends with her. Just don't be a dick.
0: Yeah, just yeah. She if she was just at home alone reading a book, nothing would have gone wrong.
2: Although it would have been the Bible, and that's maybe not the best either.
0: Well, yeah. No! They're all going to laugh at you. Listen, (laughs) we've established that the Bible is a lie written to cover up the existence of aliens. We established that earlier in the (laughs) podcast. There's not much left to do. It's true. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that is all I watched this week. Well,
2: I watched a couple things. Uh, Cindy was over. And, like, I would be busy doing something, and I'd come in, and she's just watching a horror movie, like something would have just started. She's just like, oh, yeah, I miss this in the theater. So we watched uh, The Boogeyman, um, which I still think holds up really well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, The movie just really, like, builds, like, a nice, weird atmosphere that I think plays really well. Um, they do a really good job of just making dark corners scary, which hasn't been something that's happened in decent horror movies in a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. She enjoyed it; she thought it was good. I really liked it. This is my second time watching it. So,
0: yeah, I was super happy with that one when I saw it in theaters. And yeah. they, you know, they do a good job of making you forget that if they had just turned on the lights, the whole problem would have been solved. You know. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, Cindy did comment. She's like, does nobody in this movie own a flashlight? I'm like, well, technically they all do because they all have flashlights on their phone, but nobody uses them in this movie until the The very end. little girl's the
0: only one that thinks of it. She has that cool fucking uh, circle ball. Yeah, the moon? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is.
2: I kind of want one for myself.
0: I would never be able to sleep at night because whenever it was dark, I'd want to roll it down the hall. I'd be like, shit, I got to get it. Now I want to roll it down the hall again. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you like a bowling ball return
0: yeah that makes sense it makes total sense to install one of those in my
2: home <laughs> yep sure does uh the next day we watched the 2021 Candyman, oh, yeah. uh, which i really enjoyed she uh she seemed to enjoy it but thought the ending was kind of dumb which fine whatever it's got its own problems but i still really enjoy the movie Um and then a couple months ago I mentioned I asked her if she's ever seen Doctor Sleep and she said no. And then I mentioned that it was a sequel to the Shining, and she's like, There's a sequel to The Shining? So we finally got around to watching that. And I made her watch the three hour director's cut, which she did not realize I was doing. So (laughs) you tricked her. I didn't trick her, I just didn't tell her. And it gets it got to a point where she's like, How long is this movie? And I was like, Oh, three hours. To be fair, the theatrical is two and a half. So, I mean, it's not that much more. Um,
3: this is why I'm good. It's good that I'm with Shar because there will never be another poor girl suckered into coming over to my house and me being like, Hey, have you ever seen the extended cut of the Lord of the Rings movie? <laughs> <laughs> you want to lose a Sunday with me?
2: Uh, I've done that. What was that, like 14 hours, I it's, think, for it's, all three?
3: It's long.
2: Um, yeah, Dr. Sleep still really enjoy it. She enjoyed it. She had to take a break with like an hour left, but
0: it's reasonable.
2: She's like, let's go like get some to eat. I was like, okay. And then we came back and finished it.
0: But reading there. We're taking a longer break than what you think. We're
2: taking. <laughs> uh, but she ended up liking it. She thought it was good. I had, I gave her the warning. I'm like, look, we're going to watch this. I'm just telling you, giving you some caveats before we start this. The movie is not The Shining. It will never be The Shining. The Shining is its own thing.
3: Yeah. This is it.
2: Just don't expect it to be The Shining. Nothing
0: is The Shining. It was, it's not fair.
2: Yeah, it's 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 made with more modern filmmaking sensibilities than what that one was, and that was made by Stanley Kubrick. So, I mean, you kind of have to just put that one up on the shelf and just let it be that, and realize this is going to be a different, a different story, different, different journey, and just. You know, yeah. just let it happen.
0: takes all this in the fact that this will be a different movie, but that the, the entire cast isn't emotionally traumatized from working with the director <laughs> also true
2: uh but you know, and then I got to give her some of the uh some of the fun, trivia stuff, like, oh, see that guy in the stands that's that's the real Danny from the shiny and stuff, so
0: you must love getting to do that,
2: oh yeah. She just started singing the pop-up video theme from the VH1 days.
0: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I don't know. It's still good. I still really like that movie. Still really bummed it
3: didn't do well in theaters.
2: Not that I wanted to follow-up or anything, but I just wanted more people to appreciate it and stuff, so...
3: Watching uh, watching baseball kid get murdered in that movie is a... <laughs> it's rough. It is rough. It is a brutal experience. I was like, man, they read that book and they went, no, fuck it. We're going full hog.
2: Yeah, well, it's fucking Jacob Tremblay. He's uh, he like nominated for an Oscar when he was like six or some shit. And uh, From what I heard in the behind the scenes and listening to Mike Flanagan on a couple of podcasts is that uh you know they got down and they shot his stuff first and rebecca ferguson uh rose the hat she was like everybody was just like holy shit like this kid just like destroyed this scene and he's like and- <laughs> flanagan's like and then she sat there for a minute just kind of took it in and then she's like okay let's go there's no way this little shit is out acting me so then everybody Everybody like amped up their their game just cuz this kid came in and just like destroyed everybody.
1: Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future.
2: Uh next week we're keeping this uh director's spotlight going for the month of October. Doug said we're going into the 90s with Tim Burton and uh we're going to be checking out Beetlejuice and Sleepy Hollow, two of his great 90s films as Doug has labeled here. I know I know. Wait, something's what? Doug, <laughs> you're fucking fired,
1: man.
2: <laughs> uh, more importantly, what Doug really wanted to do is to celebrate the career of known pedophile Jeffrey Jones, who's in both of I these don't, movies. I know. So that's the theme Doug wants. That's the theme Doug is going to get. That Thanks, not, Doug.
0: No, it's not. I think that's what I was going for. I didn't even know he was in Sleepy Hollow. <laughs>
2: oh, he's in there.
0: To be fair, I haven't seen that movie since theaters. Mm. And I didn't really like it then. So that's why I'm making you guys watch it with me while I revisit it.
2: Yes. And then the other classically was, 90s how Beetlejuice.
0: How are, you, how
3: are you justifying this is 90s, Doug? <laughs>
0: I'm not. This one was on purpose. <laughs> I just want to watch Beetlejuice. I think wanting to watch Beetlejuice is justifiably enough for justification enough for almost anything. I recall,
3: I recall you giving us a bunch of shit for our themes not being tight enough for you, and now you're on some bullshit. The
0: theme is Tim Burton movies. Okay. uh, I
2: don't know. Distinctly, there's a note here that says Jeffrey Jones. Spectacular!
3: Yep. <laughs> Celebrating the life and times of Jeffrey Jones.
2: Uh, we're going to talk about his uh, his role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, how most of his most of his uh, lines in that now come off as creepy.
3: How much? How much does it fucking suck? That he's a goddamn pedophile, and he was in every goddamn awesome <laughs> movie for, like, a, a solid 15-year span. Like, yeah. from 80, 81 to, when did he get busted, 95, 96? Oh, no. It was, like, early 2000s. Was that right? Was it that late? I think so. God damn it. God damn it, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Ruined a lot of movies.
0: So we're going to do our best not to bring up his characters next week, and to concentrate but, on the.
2: But it's a Jeffrey Jones spectacular.
0: To, it's not a Jeffrey Jones spectacular. That's
2: that is the theme that you wanted to celebrate this month.
0: It is not. I understand. <laughs> you <laughs> printed out a banner. There are banners posted uh, in the chat.
2: Fucking uh, wow. <laughs> <so good> assholes. <laughs> uh. Oh, my God! This is great!
0: I don't know if I agree with that sentiment at all.
2: He's <laughs> born at forty six he's fucking old seventy seven yeah uh, <sighs> try to figure out this this
3: theme could have been Tim Burton before Tim Burton started to fucking suck,
2: yeah uh jones got arrested in 2002 for the possession of child pornography and why, soliciting why a 14 year old boy to produce sexually explicit images why
0: are between we 2000 and 2001 why are we concentrating on that well
2: why we have to weird. we have to bone up so that we know what we're talking about next week for the jeffrey jones spectacular we're
0: specifically doing directors this month it's <laughs> out of my way to specifically do directors
2: uh, <sighs> i just don't know why you put it on the list with the note of Jeffrey Jones celebration. You didn't want to do it that way.
3: (laughs) You made a special gif of Jeffrey Jones waving at
2: us. (laughs) What's this? You got you got us a cameo from Jeffrey Jones?
0: I somehow (laughs) feel he's
3: probably not on Cameo. That Uh, is that is so fucked.
2: Yeah. Man, dude still works too.
3: It's a, it's a cameo of Jeffrey Jones and fucking Gary Glitter riding a fucking tandem bicycle together.
2: <laughs> Straight into hell. Uh, last thing Jeffrey Jones was in was Deadwood the Movie, 2019.
3: Oh, yeah, because after he got out of prison, they put him right back in the fucking movies.
0: Yeah. Well, to be fair, like Roman Plansky got to keep working. He didn't even have to go to prison. So That's
3: because he ran. I mean, it's insane that he's a fucking fugitive and he's still making movies. They're like, yeah, it's all right. We'll just send the money to Italy.
2: Yeah, it is so weird. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess next month when we do our Roman Polanski uh, young girl uh, movie, you know, spectacular. The dog is set up for us. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> all right. I'm actually stopping now. So, really, 90s Tim Burton movies and Beetlejuice is on the list.
0: Because it started as 90s, and then I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to not do Beetlejuice. So, I mean, other,
3: it's, it's not like fucking Tim Burton didn't put out a movie every other fucking year starring goddamn Johnny Depp.
0: Were any of them as good as Beetlejuice? I
3: mean, arguably none of his movies are as good as Beetlejuice.
2: Uh, that, is a, that is a true statement. In some like ways, Beetlejuice
3: around. isn't as good as Beetlejuice, yeah. which I'm not even sure how that works, but it feels true.
0: Yeah, I feel like you throwing around the term arguably kind of ridiculous there. but
2: Like we could have done Edward Scissorhands. Beginning of the 90s with Johnny Depp, and then uh, Sleepy Hollow, end of the 90s with Johnny Depp.
0: But you guys tricked me into thinking that Edward Scissorhands is a Christmas movie remember when you, really? you watched it at christmas time one time you guys told me it's a christmas movie so i watched it and it's not and i'm mad at you it is a that's christmas still, movie. So I'm trying not to bring it up anymore <laughs> not everything was snow and it is a christmas movie now well yeah
3: there's also blow <laughs> 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 uh,
0: the classic christmas tradition
3: please remember to replace the
1: speaker on the post when you leave the theater